You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Good morning, everyone. Did you discover some pretty good nicknames? No? <laughs> so my, my, my nickname growing up was um, Julio. I know. And do you know why? I can't believe I'm sharing this online. Okay, turn off the... So uh, there was a day where I had hair. Um, and, and long hair. And it was also the late 70s and the early 80s. And it was quite fashionable back then to get perms. So I had long hair and a perm. And somebody said I look like Julius Caesar. And then they called me Julius. And then they called me Julio. So it's just such a random nickname. <laughs> but fortunately, yeah, but don't ever call me because I have no hair. So you don't yeah. <laughs> Well, good, good to see everyone here this morning now that I've just shared that. Um, we've been walking through a, uh, a new series, and it's, um, we're walking through the life of Abraham and Sarah, and their story is found in the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible. And one of the themes of this series is the theme of faith. And so we've been following Abraham and Sarah, walking in the footsteps of faith. And so what is faith? I love uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer's definition of faith. Faith to Luther is not just believing something. It's not just believing things about God, but it's about throwing yourself on God. Throwing yourself on God. And it, re- it requires not just believing in God, but trusting him. And trusting in his goodness and his love for you. And that's the challenge. And last week we looked at uh, how Abraham, even though he's often been called a hero of the faith, was he a hero? Um, his, his faith journey is, is kind of a checkered journey because there's times in Abraham's life his faith is like, whoa, that's amazing. And there's other times not so much, which I find comforting. Because again, there's only one hero in the Bible, and that's Jesus. There's no other heroes. And so when I look at Abraham and I see his, you know, two steps forward, one step back, one step forward, two steps back, I'm like, hey, a kindred spirit. Because that describes my faith walk. And then last week, if you're here, we we looked at uh, Abraham's faith when he faced his first crisis. And we read back in chapter 12 that um, Abraham encounters a famine in the land. And the question becomes, when, when, this, when this crisis happens, the question becomes, okay, Abraham, what are you going to do? Are you going to throw yourself on God? Or are you going to panic and throw yourself on yourself and figure, figure out a solution on your own, independently of God? Well, it turns out he, he chooses the latter. And he heads off with his family down to Egypt. Um, and it doesn't turn out very well. Um, well, in the end, it turns out okay, but it's, it's, it's not looking good for, for a little while. Um, but for God's grace, this whole decision that Abraham makes to run down to Egypt where he thinks there's food and where things are better, he thinks things are better, this whole thing would have been a fiasco. 
because before you know it, he's lying. He tells Pharaoh that his wife is his sister, and then she ends up in Pharaoh's harem. And, and, and this promise, this great promise that God has given to Abraham, right, the twofold promise, I'll make you into a great nation, and that through your offspring all the nations of the world will be blessed. The big promise that runs through the whole Bible, this promise, in the very same chapter that it was given, is in jeopardy. And, but we come across God's grace again and again. And God rescues and pulls Abraham out of this mess. And he's back in the, in the, in, in the, where he should be. He's back in the land where he should be. And we see Abraham, he builds an altar. <laughs> he builds an altar. Comes back to the place where he began. And he says, all right, God, can I have a do-over? Can I, can I start again? And God says, Yes. And so you think, oh, wow, the worst is behind us, right? You know, boy, that was a close shave. At least there's going to be no more crisis. Well, no, <laughs> right after that, he encounters another crisis. And the question now becomes, okay, has Abraham learned anything from this experience or is he going to fall into the same mess? So let's see what happens. If you have your Bible, turn to um, Genesis chapter 13. And we're going to begin in verse 5. Genesis chapter 13, beginning in verse 5. Um, in honor of God's word, let's stand together as we read this. So this is when Abraham and Sarah, they just came back, and, and their whole household, they just came back. They escaped from Egypt. The promise seems to be intact. Abraham, he worships. And then we read in verse 5. And Lot, who went with Abraham, and when you see Abram, Abra, Abram later becomes Abraham, Sarai becomes Sarah. Okay. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Hey, let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. And thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one could count the dust of the earth, your offspring also could be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oak of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Lord, this is your word. You're the same God who spoke to Abraham, who can speak to us today in Port Moody. 
the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we pray that you would speak to us through your word. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to respond to what you say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So just when you think things are going to get better, Abraham encounters another crisis, a second crisis. Um, which, which, just as, as, a, as an aside, it reminds us that the Christian life is not necessarily a smooth life, right? Just we need to re- realize that. And people say, hey, become a Christian and everything will go smoothly. <laughs> no, it won't. Um, so what's this crisis all about? Well, it's a crisis which you could say is uh, a crisis of Abraham's own making. The crisis that we see in this passage is a result of a decision Abraham made right at the beginning of his faith journey. And we touched on it last week. And I I pointed out we need to watch for this. Way back in, in, in Genesis 12, right at the beginning, God calls Abraham and his wife Sarah to do what? To leave, right? To leave the land of Ur and go to the land that I will show you. To leave the land of Ur. And anything else? Yeah, leave your kindred behind. Leave everything behind. You and Sarah embark to the land that I will show you. And that's what they did. Sort of. Because they left. Who, who, did, who did Abraham bring along? Lot. Now, I'm not, not an expert, but as his nephew, I would think that that would qualify as kindred. That ought to have been left behind. So Abraham brings his little nephew along. Why? We're not sure, but we do know this. That Lot will cause a lot of problems, right? In the chapters to come. (laughs) Now, you know, I was thinking about this. We, We can't just jump from this because we have to ask ourselves the questions too. Like in our own walk with Jesus, in our own faith journey, to what degree are we listening and following Jesus for the most part? Are there areas of our life where we're, yes, we're, mostly listening to God, but we're holding back just just a little bit. Are there any areas of your life where you're holding back just a little bit? And if there are, you have to ask yourself a really important question. Why? Why are you holding back? I'll tell you why I I hold back. It's because I don't trust God. I trust him in something, but not in this thing. This is really important, God. And so I hold back. So this crisis, how does it emerge? Well, we read that Abraham was rather wealthy in the land of Ur. He had a lot of livestock and servants with him. And then things get awkward because, you know, he goes down to Egypt. He says, hey, my wife is actually my sister. And then she ends up in Pharaoh's harem. And then... What does Abraham get in response? Well, he gets, all, he gets more livestock and more servants, and he actually keeps it all um, and heads up into, this, in, into the promised land. And so um, he's got all this stuff. 
And by the time we get to the, to the land, uh, all this stuff begins to be a source of a new problem. In, in many ways, it's, it's suffering from too much blessing. Um, and we read that there's fighting, fighting that's taken place between the herdsmen of Abraham and the herdsmen of Lot. And why are they fighting? Because of all the stuff that they had. Apparently, the land could no longer sustain all the flocks that they had accumulated. And so this new crisis emerges. How will Abraham handle this crisis? Will he go back to his old ways and throw himself upon himself? Or will he throw himself upon God? Well, we read in verse 8. Abraham said to Lot, Hey, let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? So separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, I'll take the right. If you take the right hand, I'll take the left. Okay? And I think this is quite remarkable because it says something's changing in Abraham. Because what, do what does he do? In the face of this crisis, he actually lets go. He lets go of all the things that we're tempted to hold on to. He lets go and he actually trusts God in this process. And this is quite remarkable. Because the temptation would, would, would be not to let go. Let me ask you this. How many of you here, actually don't point at anybody, but I'm, I'm, like how many of you here only feel okay when you're in control of everything? <laughs> I mean, I... I I get this. I mean, I used to have a colleague um, a long time ago, and she was she only felt okay if she was in control. If something went wrong in the office, she came undone. If everything was in control, everybody was doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing, she felt okay about herself and life. The moment something went awry, she came undone. Anybody else like that? When everything, everybody's doing what you think they ought to be doing, you're okay. But when something goes, goes wrong, you feel out of sorts. It's really hard to let go of control. I think much of our life is spent like this. But what we see Abraham doing is, is something quite remarkable. Instead of doing this, which is what he did earlier on when the famine hit the land, it's like, I got to get down to Egypt where there's food. Here he's like, hey, let's not have any fighting. If you want to take the left side, I'll take the right. You take the right side, I'll take the left. Lot is a different fellow, though. What do we see Lot doing? Well, what do we see in verse 10? And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered like every, everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. Lot chose for himself the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east, separated from one another. It's interesting, the passage literally says Lot lifts up his eyes. He's probably standing in an elevated section of the land near Bethel and had a good view of the Jordan Valley to the southeast. And he looks, and he says, hey, this land that I'm looking at is well watered, which matters a lot, especially to feed livestock. 
Well-watered lands are pretty important. Lot also, with Abraham, just came out of this whole fiasco in Egypt when there was a famine in the land. So Lot lifts up his eyes and he chooses the best land for himself. But notice how Lot describes the land. It's kind of interesting how he describes it. What does he say the land looks like? Reminded him of the garden of the Lord. This is interesting. It's an interesting description. And, and, and for, for Lot, it's like the garden of the Lord. Could there be a more ideal vision than the garden of the Lord? But he forgot that wasn't it in the garden of the Lord where, where, where sin first entered into the world? And could it be that life is not about finding the best environment, the perfect house, the perfect job, the perfect vehicle? See, the garden of the Lord without the Lord is, is just a garden. And it's not about the garden. It's about the Lord of the garden. But notice... <laughs> What is the second comparison that uh, Lot makes? He says, yeah, it's like the garden of the Lord. What else is it like? Egypt. Egypt. <laughs> He's comparing it to Egypt. Well, well, come on, Lot. I mean, it reminds you of Egypt. How did that go? How was your time in Egypt? Was that a great holiday for you? I mean, it was a mess. It was an absolute mess. And what does he say? Oh, this place reminds me of Egypt. And if that's not dodgy enough, we read one other thing. He says he chooses this place because in this place, it's got, you know, it's got these, these nice cities that, uh, that he can connect with. What are the cities? Sodom and Gomorrah. You get a sense that this is not going to end well. But I want you to listen very carefully. To what the narrator says. Yeah, when you read the book of Genesis, you have to realize the narrator, he is, he, he, everything's precise. What does he say? He says, Lot, he said, he lifted up his eyes, he looked at the land, saw that the land was good, and he took it. Okay, let me say it again. He looked, saw that the land was good, and he took it. Do you hear an echo from another passage? What, what do you hear? Yeah, Genesis 3, right? That's exactly what happens in Genesis 3. The woman looks, saw that the fruit was good, and took it. And the, and the narrator is mirroring this language. You have to get that. Lot looks, saw that the land was good, and he took it. And whenever you and I choose by sight and not by faith, we can run into all sorts of problems. I knew this guy at our church a long time ago, and he was telling me uh, how excited he was about this new job that he was going to get. He just got this job in, in northern B.C., 
And I said, well, tell me about this job. He's like, oh, it's an amazing job. What a great opportunity. Um, I'm going to be making, you know, six figures, and they got a company car, and this is going to be awesome, and my whole family, we're going to move up to this small place in northern BC. I said, well, that's, that's fantastic. I said, uh, what, what kind of churches are there up there? Well, I hadn't even thought about that. I said, well, are there any faith communities where you're going? He's like, I don't know. He goes, but you got to know how much money I can be made. I said, well, yeah, no, that does sound like a good job. But any community, any, any place for your kids to, 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 to grow up in the faith? Never even thought about that. It looks good. It's a company car. It's good money. See, Lot, he chooses by sight and not by faith. And this, this is going to happen quite often in the book of Genesis. But let's look at Abraham here. One of the indications that Abraham is finally starting to learn what a life of faith looks like is, is, is his willingness to let go in this. And I think we can, we can learn from Abraham. So what does he let go of? Well, one of the things Abraham lets go of, he lets go of his need to control things. He lets go of his, his need to control outcomes. You think about it. Who had the right to the land? Abraham. Abraham. <laughs> Did God call Lot? No. Abraham had right to the land. Who received the promise? Abraham. Who had the right to the first choice? It was Abraham. Who didn't God call? Lot. <laughs> right? And Abraham incredibly, voluntarily lets go of his right. He disadvantages himself to the advantage of another. Which is an extraordinary act of faith. Because it was a relinquishment of control. And so here we find an Abraham who's starting to learn that he doesn't need to be in control of every situation. He does not need to control outcomes. Oh man. This is hard to do, isn't it? This runs against our instinct. But I know, I'll speak personally, whenever I'm in a situation and I demand my rights, I never feel good afterwards. I, I, I never do. Like whenever, and even if it's justifiable, it's like, no, this is, and, and I push myself up and I say, this is actually what's coming to me legitimately, I should have this. Whenever I do that, I never feel good. And, and I realize, well, I realize that, yeah, you know, I, I do want control. And yet when I push myself forward, and, and Jesus talks about this, you, know, you don't be pushing yourself to the, to the front of the table. And Abraham, in many ways, is, is, is foreshadowing Jesus' teaching here. About denying yourself and taking up your cross and following him. So let me ask you the awkward question. Where are you at in life right now? Are you straining and striving to exercise, to, to, to control outcomes? Or are you throwing yourself on God 
Abraham lets go of his need to control outcomes. The other thing he lets go of is his stuff. He chooses peace between himself and his nephew over the well-watered land of Zor, of the Jordan Valley. He chooses relationship over real estate. He says, let's have no strife between you and me, for we're kinsmen. And, and this, is, this is, you have to get this, because chances are most of the stuff that's at issue here belongs to Abraham. Is <laughs> a result of, of, of Abraham. And, 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 you know, I think the danger of the Christian life, one of the dangers, is, is, is our stuff. Our stuff gets in the way. It's our stuff that occupies our, our thoughts because we think, okay, how can I get more stuff? And when I get my stuff, how can I protect my stuff? And our stuff, you know, that house, that home, that perfect, that whatever it happens to be, it occupies our minds. We spend hours online shopping. What, you know, what would this be like? And it just occupies our hearts. How can I get more stuff? How can I not lose my stuff? You know, in churches, and I know uh, Pastor Cam at the end of uh, this, this service, he's going to talk about giving. And sometimes we're like, oh, that's awkward, and we kind of like hum and haw. It's like, well, you know, if you'd like to give a little bit, that would be great. Um, but actually, giving is, is, is a tremendous spiritual act. Because when you give, when you give stuff away, when you give your you know, your money away. When you, when you give away your stuff, then you're saying to the seen and the unseen world, this stuff actually has no hold upon me. You're saying to your wallet, to your credit card or whatever, you're not the boss of me. Jesus is. And so, especially in our materialist West, to give away stuff, to give away is a tremendous spiritual act especially in our materialist world, because it's saying, You're not, you have no hold on me. And Abraham, he lets go of his stuff. He lets go of it all. He says, take whatever you want. The other thing that Abraham lets go of is this. He lets go of the need to be honored. Everything Abraham did went against the ancient world. You got to get that. Like, in the ancient world, who has authority? The elder, not the younger. Some of you from East Asian backgrounds, <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about. This, is, this runs deep. In, a, in an honor-shame culture, we often get really angry when we don't get the honor we think we deserve. And it's not just in Eastern cultures. I think it's still in Western cultures. Honor matters a lot to us. Like, I think, well, let me ask you. Think about the time when you really get angry, when something really bothers you, and you get so angry. I'll tell you for myself, when I get most angry, do you know why? Do you know why I'm most angry? Is when someone is not treating me as importantly as I think I ought to be treated. Now, it's, it's, it's hard to say that, but it, I challenge you this week, every time you get mad, Pause and ask yourself that question. 
why are you angry? And I would say 99.84% of the time is <laughs> because someone's not treating you as importantly as you think you ought to be treated. It runs deep in us. It's a dangerous pursuit. The problem with, uh, with, 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 with honor, chasing honor, it's, 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 it's a dangerous pursuit. Why? Because once you get honor, you want to keep it or you want more of it. And over time, everything that's not in your favor is considered an affront to your honor. The other danger is this, is, is, is in order to get the honor we think we deserve, we often pretend to be someone we're not. And we project images to impress in order to maintain that honor or to hold on to that honor that you think you deserve. I remember when I was living, uh, working for this uh, engineering company in Shanghai. I was a manager. Um, I had a good position. I had lots of honor. Um, and, and, I, and I flouted that honor. I, was like, I remember meeting a buddy of mine in Hong Kong. And, and, um, and, and, and he didn't have very much money. But I, at that point, I had a lot of money. I was doing well. I was a manager for this company in Shanghai. And so I remember sitting with my friend. I had the suit on. I had you know, a nice suit you know, you know, made in, uh, by a tailor in Hong Kong. It was a really cool suit. And so I said to my friend, I said, what would you like? Look at the menu. Order whatever you want on me and I was a big shot and I saw myself as a big shot but here's the problem with, with that is sometimes what happens is that we end up in order to maintain this persona of being somebody important you end up doing things and saying things that really aren't true to yourself And before you know it, you end up becoming someone that you really aren't. You're becoming somebody that is actually not that great. I remember, oh, I shouldn't tell you all these stories, but um, I remember when I was uh, in, in a bar up in Beijing when I was working for this company. This is before I was a Christian and I was a big shot and everything. I was sitting in this company, and, or sitting in this bar, and uh, I was with my, my colleague, and, and there were some girls uh, with us, and we were, we were chatting, and uh, they said to my colleague, they said in Chinese, it's like, Nishika hao nar, which means you're a, you're a real gentleman. And I looked at the girls and I said to them, I said, you know, now, aren't I a gentleman? And they looked at me and they're like, Nishika hao nar. Right? And I, you're, and I just remember, okay, what, what am I becoming? What has happened? And, and you know what? This happens to Lot. His desire to get the best affects his soul. Because where does he end up? Where does it say he ends up? On the outskirts of Sodom. It literally says he pitches his tent near Sodom. Okay. And I can hear Lot. I can hear what Lot's saying. Lot's saying, hey, you know, I'm not... <laughs> I know that Sodom is a little bit sketch, but I'm not actually moving into Sodom. I'm just kind of... It's, 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 it's good to live close to a city. It's, 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 it's good. I'm not in there because I know, I know it's not a great place. I'm, I'm on the outskirts. Okay. 
Next time we find Lot, where is he? He's moved in, bought a condo. But do you know where we find him? In the city gates. Do you know what that means? It means he's become a leader of the city. So not only has he moved in and bought a condo, he's now a councilman for the city township of Sodom. Now, in order to get to this place, Lot's going to have to close his eyes to a lot of stuff that's going on. So let me ask you this awkward question. What are you becoming in order to get that honor you think you deserve? And is it worth the cost? When I was working for this company, I had to close my eyes to so much that was going on in the company. It was a very corrupt company. And in order to survive, I had to close my eyes to some of the stuff that was going on. In order to be accepted, in order to continue to make money, I closed my eyes to the corruption. And in the end, my heart became really corrupted. And I cared about honor more than anything else. So this, this desire for honor will mess us up. And it really runs up against the very character of God. Because who's God? God is one who disadvantages himself for the advantage of the other. What do we read about Jesus in Philippians 2? Have this attitude among yourselves, says Paul. And be, be like Jesus, who, though in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a man, of a servant. And that's what Abraham does. Even though he's a patriarch, even though he's a recipient of God's promise, Abraham, he says, he opens up his hands and he lets it go. And he throws himself on God. And in doing so, Abraham experienced tremendous freedom. And look at verse 14, and this is the irony of it all. Because the Lord says to Abraham, after Lot had gone, he says, lift up your eyes. And look at the land. All this land will be yours. Abraham opens up his hands. He lets it go. And in the end, he gets it all. And often when we open up our hands, we often will gain more than we ever thought we could get. It's not a system. It's not like, okay, I'm going to open up my hands, God, so you give me more than I, you know, it's, it's, it's not like that. But often when we open up our hands, God, we, we discover that God can do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. When I was working for this company in Shanghai, like at, at the end, I became a Christian and then things got awkward um, because I didn't know actually how to, how to live as a Christian. I just became a Christian. And prior to me becoming a Christian, um, I was working at this company and it was very complicated and some people were orchestrating to get me fired and I was counterbalancing their attempts to get me fired. And do you know what I did? Is, I think I share, I've shared this before. I stole some documents. I stole some files. Back in the day, there were files. Not in the cloud, but physical files. I took some files and I, I also took the, the most, one of the most valuable things in the company. Do you know what it was? A cellular phone. <laughs> it was when cell phones first came out. And it was like this big. Uh, and, I held, and it was worth like 30,000 yuan, right? And so I held on to that as a bargaining chip 
so that, you know, they would, if they fired me, they would have to pay me some money. And so I had all this strategy. But when I became a Christian, I'm like, I don't think I can live this way anymore. And so I took the files, gave them back. Took the phone, gave it back. And they're like, what's your angle? What's he up to? But I, I, I let go. I say, okay, God, I'm going to throw myself on you. And I was a Canadian working for a Hong Kong company in Shanghai. I had no rights. They could have just got rid of me and not given. But because I, I threw myself on God, and in the end, you know, I received more than I would ever have thought possible. And again, it's not a, it's not a system, but it was, it was I think it was, it was God teaching me that you cannot outgive God. You really can't outgive him. And why was Abraham able to let go? And how can we let go of the stuff that's doing a number on us? We read it in the text. Abraham was able to let go because he lifted up his eyes. He lifted up his eyes. Lot lifts up his eyes and sees what he wants and he takes it. Abraham lifts up his eyes to God, to his goodness, to his sovereignty, and to his provision. And it's interesting, this passage begins and ends with worship. In the end, what a contrast, because we read that Abraham pitched his tent near an altar of the Lord. So he lifts up his eyes every day, and what does he say? Lord, you are the Lord. God, you are God. Lot lifts up his eyes every morning. What does he see? The city of Sodom. So let me ask you, where are your eyes focused these days? Abraham, he sees the unseen. It's what Colossians 3.2 tells us. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. As one guy puts it, the clarity of the vision shapes the quality of the journey. And where we, where we put our attention really does affect our lives. You were talking about Pastor Mark this morning, Cam. Um, pastor Mark, he's a farmer. He, um, he was our former senior pastor, and he was a farmer from Saskatchewan. And, he, and, and he, he talked about driving a tractor. And believe it or not, I used to work on a farm. I used to drive a tractor. And, and, and one of the things when you're driving a tractor is, is that you have to keep your eyes on where you want to go. If you're driving along a ditch and you look at the ditch, what's going to happen? <laughs> you're going to veer into the ditch. And so you got to keep your eyes focused. And where you focus your eyes is going to make all the difference. So where are you focusing your eyes? Where do your eyes turn for most of the day? When we fix our eyes on Jesus, who he is, what he's doing in our life, you know, we begin to see possibilities that we had never knew existed. And that's where, the, in Ephesians, where Paul says and that Jesus is able to do immeasurably more, immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. When my eyes are fixed on Jesus, I feel freedom. When, when my eyes are fixed on Jesus, I'm way more open to doing this. When my eyes are fixed on myself and my rights and my honor and what I deserve, and I do deserve this, I just become a really annoying person. You do not want to be around me when I'm like that. 
And I find myself doing that often, over and over again. I go from this and I start to try to take control again. And so our invitation this morning is to do what? Is to do this. And to throw ourselves on God and say, God, I, I'm, I'm, I trust you. You are good. You are trustworthy. And apart from you, I got nothing. So what I'd like to do is invite you to pray that way with your hands open. You don't have to, but if you'd like to, just as an act of relinquishment. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then I'm going to invite the communion service to come forward, and uh, we'll take communion together. And I'll explain about that in just a moment. But right now, if you're open to this, open your hands and pray with me. Oh, Jesus, this is difficult to do. <laughs> it's difficult to do throughout the day. Maybe in church it's okay to do. But Lord, our desire is to open our hands before you. We confess so much of our life is, is about grabbing honor and holding on to honor and trying to be in control of things. And really, we don't have much control. But we know that you are good, that you love us, and that you are trustworthy. And we're so, given the stuff that we're dealing with right now, we're so tempted to want to grab the steering wheel, grab the reins, or whatever the metaphor may be, but we don't want to. And so we open our hands and we say, Lord, we trust you with, and I'll leave it to you, everyone here this morning, to, to lay out what you want to lay out before the Lord. We commit this situation to you. And we pray that you would grant us open hands for you are good and you can be trusted. And so we throw ourselves upon you and ask for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.